You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning, good morning, good morning. As we wrap, come down to the end of July 2021, it's, this month, this summer, and everything this year just blowing by. But I want to kick it off this, this today's show with this thought from Michelle Ruse. If people are doubting how far you can go, go so far that you can't hear them anymore. Now, that's something to start your Saturday early afternoon or late morning with. And I want to welcome you, our loyal listeners who've been with us for 16 years. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if this is your first time tuning in to the show, I want to let you know that you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show Off the Shelf. And welcome to this Saturday, July 21st, again, 2021 show. We have an awesome author on deck for you and excited to introduce her to you. But before we do, i got to ask you, do you love mystery? How good of a mystery sleuth are you? And do you value relationships? If you do, every book doesn't have everything. You, no book has everything in it. So I always like to let listeners, when I talk about a book, know what's in this book. And if it's for you, like, oh, i got to get that. i got to jump on it and get that book. If you value relationships, there's a complicated father-son relationship in love for over me. There's also a murder mystery that happens with Raymond, him and his father. He's he's an athletic standout. You know, we got the Olympics going on right now. Raymond would have been in the Olympics getting a gold medal for sure. But he was also very academically he he had strong academics so he could have gone to college on an academic scholarship or an athletic scholarship. That's where he meets Brenda when he goes to college. They really, really are soulmates. So there's that relationship, but it's also complicated. But is his father, his father the one who took care of him as a single parent? He has, that relationship is also complicated. And then it's before guys, Raymond meets when he goes to college in Pennsylvania. They develop this lifelong friendship. It, it, it goes on throughout their lives. One of them goes on into the NFL. They go on and do well in business. But one is involved in, in this murder, so you wonder what would you what would you do if it was your friend? So there's that there's those relationships, there's romance, and there's a murder mystery tucked in. Love pour over me. You can get it in print and ebook format. If those are things you enjoy and you value, particularly relationships, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. It's an ebook or paperback. You can get it anywhere books are sold. Love Pour Over Me by yours truly, Denise Turney. Please get a copy and let me know how you enjoy the book. And now, drum roll, drum roll, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And today's off-the-shelf guest is C.K. Donnelly. And C.K. is a fan fiction and fantasy book author. She has worked in journalism and won several press awards. And with her journalism background, novel writing, she said, did not come easily for her despite the fact that she worked in journalism. And I found that interesting when I was researching for her interview, and we can ask her more about that later. But C.K. is no quitter. In addition to writing novels, she is the founder of Kibbe Creative Media. She has been interviewed at various media outlets, 
including Inside the Mind of Authors, KTAR, New Hampshire Magazine, and 3TV. Books that CK has authored include Trine Rising, Trine Fallacy, and Trine Revelation. The fourth book in the series, Trine Protector, is in development. You can check CK out online, and I encourage you to do so at cknowledge.com. She kept it so simple. She kept it so simple. Easy to remember her URL, and I'll spell that for you. C-K-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.com. And, again, that's C-K-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.com. C-K-Donnelly.com. We are absolutely honored to have her here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. And I gotta make sure I'm bringing her in. Bringing Miss CK here. in. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, CK. Good morning. I thank you so much for having me. We're gonna have a fun time, and and I love your uh, bumper about uh, your book ahead of that uh, about relationships. There's so much invested in relationships in my books too. So that was perfect segue. <laughs> Okay, okay. Now, it's it's just a pleasure to have you on here. The first two questions I ask every guest, I tell our guests, when I started the show 16 years ago, I just went right into the questions, and I started getting emails from listeners saying, don't do that. We want to know a little bit about the guests before you start asking them about their books and their writing and et cetera. So these first two questions I ask every guest who comes on off the shelf. So to kick it off, CK, can you tell listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Sure, sure. Well, I'm born and bred and outside the burbs of Chicago uh, in a town uh, called Carroll Stream, Illinois. So if you know where Wheaton is or Lombard, we're, we're kind of there, about 35 miles north northwest of the city of Chicago. And I spent most of my life there until I was about 19. And then my dad had a job transfer, so we all moved out to Phoenix and lived there for about oh, 15 years and I met my husband there, finished school there, everything, moved to New Hampshire for about 15 years with uh, my husband's job transfer and and had a great time and froze. <laughs> and then we finally had enough of winters and moved back to Phoenix. So we are in Phoenix in the uh, Scottsdale area now and we've been here uh, since 2014. Oh, I guess you said that cold was an well, you know, you you know, it's funny. I just was talking to somebody this week who moved to Tennessee from uh, Chicago, and the, I said, "Oh, you're gonna miss that snow." No, I'm not gonna miss. It's funny. Sometimes you, some people want to go back to the 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 climate they had enjoyed when they were kids, and some want to get away <laughs> from it. But who wants I to certainly, of course, I, you know, I do miss the change of seasons. They're much more subtle out here in in the desert southwest. I miss fall a little bit, and, you know, I love snow from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day. January 2nd, I want it to be 83 in Palm Tree. <laughs> okay, this is like enough. Enough. Okay, okay the, winter, the winter holidays are over. It's time for it to get warm. Yeah, here. yeah, that's now, fine. I want everything to look like a Hallmark holiday movie. <laughs> now, as a kid, CK, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a little girl? Oh, well, a couple of things, as we all do. I, I really wanted to be a veterinarian, loved animals. Um, and then when I saw Star Wars or so, when I was about 10, just turned 11, 
I was just, this was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I immediately started, you know, uh, creating stories in that world. I had all my little action figures and everything. And I decided, gee, you know, I really like making up my own stories. And uh, that's kind of where the writing bug and began. But, you know, no, nobody can be a published author. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So went to school for other things in healthcare, um, but never got rid of that writing bug from when I was about 10, 11 years old. Interesting. So first you wanted to be a veterinarian, and then yes. you, you, saw, you, saw a t- you saw a movie, a TV show, and you decided you wanted to be a writer at a young age. Some people, yes. you know, I've had come on the show, they said they, they they still don't really, really know what they want to do, but they might have gotten <laughs> in the book. But some people, don't. It does, they don't know until they're in their 40s or 50s. And some became writers after they, they took a dare and entered a writing contest. Now, yep. so that's how you got, that's what inspired you, a movie, like yep. a, becoming an actress to, to, to want to create your own stories now. Had you always right. intended starting to move more towards more specific writings that you do do? Had you always intended to turn the uh, the trying into a book series? And if so, why did you why did you take that approach? Oh well, the, the, here, here's the, here's the funny story. Like I said, I am a complete Star Wars fan girl. At least the original series. We could do another whole show about me, you know, dissecting the sequels and the prequels, but. The main series, the first three that we all know, I just was entranced by that and made up a whole bunch of stories. And so, oh, and it was probably in my mid-30s or so, I wrote a fan fiction novel based in the Star Wars universe. And I was really proud of it, had some friends read it. And they said, you know, this is really, really good, but, you know, you're not going to get anywhere with fanfic. It's like being a cover band, right? You know, at some point you have to write your own stuff. So I started thinking, okay, what can I take from the Star Wars universe and my novel and my ideas and make it original and turn it into my own story, my own series? Do I want to do fiction or do I want to do fan on, full-on fantasy, you know, with swords and castles and things? And I decided to go that direction, and, uh, you know, that's that's how Trine Rising was born. About two, This was about two, in the year 2000. Um, you know, I'm like, okay, what kinds of magic do I like? What are the people like? What are the what's the you know economics like of the land and all of that? But it really began with a Star Wars fan fiction book, and what can I then really carve out of that to make it original? Interesting. Oh, and you picked a good one. You know, when I think about imagination and creativity, and 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 honestly, when I look at the world today, I wonder if science fiction writers are more like visionaries because a lot of <laughs> sometimes it, yeah it, you do have your futurist starting to happen you know they're going to have flying yeah. cars that's going to yeah. happen and people people are going like into space just for fun now so it, <laughs> it, there are things that are happening that uh, 50 years ago people it was like just science fiction now i'm like sure it doesn't was george lucas like you think of these science fiction writers do they know something ahead of everybody else or they really just just visionary. So you have always intended to turn it into a book series. Now, Star yes. Wars isn't written. It isn't written like you know, first book chronological. It's not Correct. linear like that. Is the Trine mm-hmm. series that way? So, like, if there's a main character, book one, it, it follows uh, uh, what's happening 
uh, chronologically the book two to book three is like Star Wars, where book one is really book four. Is it? <laughs> is, is that well, the way? I, I tend that... to think that was a bit more of a marketing decision, and then the, the series took off. So, oh, now I can use you know backstory and turn that into movies. I tend to think it was a little bit more that way. But no, mine does follow a chronological order. First book, Trine Rising, which debuted last year. It's been out just shy of a year. Follows the uh, uh, life of uh, Marana Pinal, and when the book opens, uh, she's 15, just shy of 16. So basically, 16 years old is where we drop into the story. And uh, book two, which is Trine Fallacy, which is going to debut here in about a month, August 26th. Shameless plug, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> um, she's now kind of on the meat of her quest with her mentor, trying to figure out her magic and how she can use it to, to save the land and not fulfill a negative end of a prophecy. She is a chosen one, but she doesn't know if she's the good chosen one or the bad chosen one. And that's, that's kind of how we mix up that trope a bit. I've mixed up a lot of the uh, uh, typical fantasy tropes. Uh, you know, so that's two. And, and the third book, Trine Revelation, it is written, but uh, we will uh, be undergoing final development with that over next year and hopefully about a year from now in late summer, early fall 2022. We're hoping to get that one out. Okay. You are definitely busy and, 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 and writing the series. Uh, uh, it, it definitely you didn't have to sit back and think with a standalone book. What am I going to write on next? And then no. series books. We know when it comes to marketing, which we may t- touch on later in the interview. That's a good way to increase your book sales. Now, can you tell us a little bit about Miss Marana Pinal? Can you tell us a little bit more about her? What's her family like? Particularly, she has this. She's the chosen one. Is her is is what's her, what are her parents like? Why is she the chosen one? And and what is her mission in the in the story? But she's sixteen when the first book opens. Why is she the chosen one? What is it? Is there something special about her parents that makes her the chosen one? And, and again, what is her mission? It's not necessarily her parents. What Marana is, is she is in my universe called a trine. And if you, you know your, you know, your roots, Tiara, she, she has all three powers of the aspects. And the aspects is what I call my magic. And the aspects is the force. No, is that's what I call my magic. And um, seeing, which is like clairvoyance, defending, which you are, you know, great fighters, you have great reflexes and a little bit more stamina, and healing, you can, you know, augment healing powers. So in my universe, most of the magic users are only, only have one power, and she has all three, and that happens exceedingly rarely in their universe, in their land. Um, so that's one thing that sets her apart. Um, what is in the backdrop of all this is a war that's been going on plaguing her land for 3,000 years or more. And wow. what is interesting about this, land, this, this war, it's not about territory. It's about ideals. It's about philosophy, how best to use the aspects. There's one way to use it where you're giving solely of your own power and your own life force, if you will. And then there's another way that you can tap into it by sucking in the life forces, if you will, around you to augment your power, and which is, is one better than the other. And so it became a, a, a very bitter philosophical war. 
and it's been around for, for like I said, years. And it, within that, there is this trine prophecy. I mean, hey, what epic fantasy uh, uh, series doesn't have a good old prophecy, right? And it talks about a light trine and a dark trine is cast as mortal enemies and, and, you know, what happens when this finally occurs, only hope shall remain is kind of one of my taglines. So she is this trine. And she has premonitions of her, if she fully embraces her power, she will destroy everything. She thinks she sees this great, you know, apocalyptic, you know, blinding light and senses war and all this. And she's like, oh, my God, I, I you know, I, I want to use my powers for good. I don't want to have this happen. So how do I fulfill my destiny without, you know, having a, a dark fate? So that's kind of the underpinning of these first three books, really. Um, Interesting. Oh, yeah. wow. Yes. Yeah. So she, and she, but you know, the good thing is, you you let her know that she mm-hmm. she she knows does she know from the beginning though that she her powers yeah. if she doesn't if she doesn't use them right they could be or does she discover that she. As as she was growing up, I think she didn't realize what she was. She didn't realize she was a trine. She just thought, oh, okay, maybe this is just different versions of, you know, everybody calls me a seer, you know, it's a clairvoyant, you know, so maybe, you know, that's what I am. And it wasn't until um, an incident with her her little friend, and now, of course, he's her love interest, he fell out of a tree, broke his arm, and that's when she first had this need to heal and could understand feeling the healing power and so she's like holy crap i'm a trine and it was very upsetting and and exactly after that you know kind of prologue incident um she began to have these visions of a a, some sort of destructive event that she believes um occurred at her hands and so she's like i don't want this so she hasn't told anybody that she's a trine except for her boyfriend teague he's the only one who knows is he is he also is he also a trine? And before I go, I don't want to nope. like asking you specific. Oh, he's not. No, and that so, adds so you, more can... juice to the fire. He's he's a muggle. <laughs> he is only about one in a thousand or so in my land are born with with magical powers. Most people are everyday folk, just like you and me. So he does not have magic powers, and so that sense puts up a lot of tension between the two. She doesn't care. She doesn't care one way or the other. But he desperately wants to have powers because he wants to do things and help things with him. His parents are healers. They have the magical healing power, and he was born without powers, and so he always is feeling like he's unworthy of, you know, his, you know, everything. So that's kind of an interesting um uh, aspect to his, no pun intended, it's kind of an interesting factor in his um, evolution of the character. Now, you've talked a little bit about it. Can you give our listeners like a more, uh, not a not a long, but a little bit more uh, overview or synopsis of Trine Rising? And I'm curious, when you do that, why why are some people just, when you say a normal human, like a the real human, just a, a real normal human, and would uh, uh I'm just curious, why? How is it chosen? Who gets these special powers and who doesn't? So, if the, her boyfriend's or love interest parents have like healing powers, or 
why didn't it transfer over to him like the way it does, you know, here, you gen- uh, um, genetically, like, mm-hmm. similar to your parents. How do you? How did you choose who got? Could you give us a more of an overview of the Chime Rising? How did you choose who got special powers and who didn't? Well, if if we want to go deep into the weeds of exposition, yeah, I actually did Punnett squares. I actually a, big A, little A, big A, little A, and and how you know, and how how is it transferred? So I like to think that. The magic gene, if you were, is perhaps recessive, so you need an allele from both sides uh, if you really want to know. So that also begs the question, ooh, who back in his parents' day, uh, uh, you know, was, you know, back in each of their familial histories, um, maybe, um, you know, had, had a re- were, you know, relationship with people that were not ah. magic, which doesn't occur that often there's almost like two different societies living in in connection with each other normally you aspected stay with them and and unaspected normal people stay with each other there isn't a lot of intermingling although that is that is starting to change um so that begs the question somewhere in his parents line you know there was a you know um a, a different genetics there so that's how he was born without powers and um, Ah. in Marana's line um, an uh, ancestor some 50 years removed was a trine so you know there perhaps was a a trine gene lurking around now I know that's awfully scientific I can hear your your reader or your listener's eyes rolling but (laughs) that's how that happened I find it interesting uh, (laughs) to hear you say that because that in Mm -hmm. itself could, could drive part of a story Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, I have some some anthology backstory stuff that I might release someday with his parents, and you know, they're thinking, oh my God, you know what, you know, do we carry some sort of sin or something like that? Who knows? But um, yeah, no, that's that's always interesting. So that's how he was born without powers, and there's also spontaneous mutations. We're all talking about mutations and variants these days, so I mean. That certainly can happen. These are facts that I needed to know to write the story. This, all this sort of genetic stuff doesn't necessarily make it on screen, as it were, but this is how I needed to explain it to myself in, in my notes and as I was crafting the world in the story. It sounds like I'm listening to you, like this story came to you in a dream, but you got it from watching, uh, uh, when you watched the Star Wars movie, but the the way you there's a little bit of it that seems hidden to you, like you said, you had to know, like the the genetics as you. It's like it came to you. That's the way it sounds yeah. to me. But can you can you introduce our listeners to some of the other major minor characters in the books, including who are some of the villains and who are some of the other people <laughs> who helped Miss Marana out? Sure, sure. So um, we certainly we have her parents. Her father is Carl. His name is Carl Pinal, and he is like the uh, a career military man. And he's been fighting, 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 and he's in his mid fifties. And now he's beginning to wonder: Is it all worth it? He's beginning to go through that midlife crisis. Have I passed my shelf life? So that's a very cool viewpoint to get into very very human i've been you know fighting uh you know in this war since i was you know 2018 myself and you know i just every all i see is people dying left and right and never gets any better so 
he's trying to do that. And he is huge underneath this man who is a culminant, you know, swordsman and fighter, warrior. He's deeply, deeply devoted to his family, to his wife, and to Marana. Marana is his is his little girl, and he just, you know, he would do anything <laughs> for her. And his wife, Desde, is a seer, and she is essentially like governor of their province in their land. Um, they have kind of like the the magic user society, and then there's the regular society. Well, she's kind of like head of all the magic users in in their particular province. And so you have the ultimate of a working mother. You know, how do I make these decisions that are good for the good for my province and my people, but it's going to negatively impact my family. So she's got this tug of war. And in the first book, there is a certain uh, promulgation that she has that is going to send, basically send Marana to war years before it's time. Everybody who is of a certain age has to go and at least help out, you know. And so she's pulled between these political issues. Um, so those, those, those two. And then, of course, the... Uh, Marana's mentor is there is another trine, Patrick Garris, and everybody knows he's a trine, and he is like the legendary hero. So we think that the prophecy has already come about. We know we have the dark trine is head of the the uh, you know bad guy army, and Patrick is kind of like the hero who's good. So what does that mean for Marana? There's never been any mention of three trines. What does this mean? So that adds more mystery to the story, to the series. And he is perhaps the only one who understands what she's going through, you know, having the, the burden of carrying all these three powers. So um, he saves her from – she tries to kill herself, frankly, because she just, she's just like, I, I, you know, the, the only way I can stop this, you know, negative future from happening is if I take myself out of the equation. He saves her life, and he – promises that he will protect her and teach her how to use her powers well. So they kind of hit it off instantly as, as a, you know, a beloved teacher, professor, and, and mentee. So those, those are some of the, the key characters. Oh, my goodness. I'm listening to you. You know, one thing when, um, with Off the Shelf, as I listen to the guests talk about their stories, and this is something that you get here that you wouldn't get from reading the a book review or, or, or just going and reading a book synopsis, a book description, is when the authors start talking more about their stories and the development, the story becomes that much more interesting. It just it, yeah. it, 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 more and more and more interesting. I have to ask you, so when the, you said this is not about land, it's more about ideology. So when this war mm-hmm. kicked off at the, at the inception, the beginning of the war, did they really know it would go on this long? Did it start as something? Do you show where it started? It's something, some type of mild disagreement, different ideologies, and they had no idea it would develop into this 3,000-year year war. To a certain extent, yes, and you're absolutely right. What began back, you know, thousands of years ago as more philosophical wrangles and stuff that was, you know, discussed between, uh, you know, academia, essentially, it became more and more heated. And eventually, 
it became there, you know, violence started occurring around all this. And both sides think the other is wrong, and their philosophy, their access to magic is right. You know, and their, you know, their godhead and their belief system, hey, they created this, this land for us to use to help protect everything, so why shouldn't we tap into the natural life forces around it? Not necessarily wrong. But if you think about it used in a dark way, you know, you're sucking someone's life energies from them, and you could do it to such an extent that you kill them. That's not very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. again, the the other people, the heroes, and in my book we call them the Falkine, they who follow the light versus the Kinar, they who embrace power. And the Falkine are what Marana and her parents and her family are. They're like, no, you know, we are only part of this natural order. We can't take from it. We can only add to it. So we only want to use our innate selves, and both sides use an amulet, a crystal. That helps focus their power and enable them to do things in a larger way outside of themselves. So there are limits to my system of magic, which was extremely important to me. You know, you use... So much of yourself, you can, you know, kill yourself, essentially. So you have to be aware of how you use it. And um, that was important to me as well. So, like I said, it evolved as just kind of philosophical arguments. And over centuries, it got worse until a full-blown war. Wow, you know, you you look at us today. Sometimes uh, I've, I've, yeah. I've I used to think wars were over land, but now I'm starting mm-hmm. to think that they've all, even our wars here, have always been over ideals. And that's get... what makes it so difficult. Certainly interesting as a writer, but difficult to win, because depending on your viewpoint and depending on the extent of the belief, nothing's really wrong. But when you do it to an extreme degree, it certainly can be. So yeah, yeah, you, and and you, you're just so adamant that everybody think the way you do. I always think we're right. all evangelists, yeah. and that we always once we believe something, we want everybody yeah. else to believe it. You can even see when people change their beliefs. What they used to believe, everybody should believe that. They switched their beliefs. Now you all better jump over here with me and believe what I'm believing yeah, again. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. All, it's, it, it really it's always all or nothing. I mean, at the end of the it. day, isn't it really just about the golden rule? I mean, treat people nicely and and believe in something benevolent. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's yeah, really you, what you, it's you, all about. I mean, yeah, everything it, else is window dressing. <laughs> Yeah, your story touches on uh, things that are really, I think, happening even now of when you say the, yeah. the war of ideals. And, I, again, yeah. I used to think it was overland. Now I think, no, we've always gone to war over yeah. ideals. Now, do each of the, each of the characters in the Trying ser- series, so who readers see in Trying Rising, will they see each of these characters? And, and will they appear in each book in the series? Or do we see different heroes and heroes? Uh, rise up in as in the in the second book in the third book in the series. Um, correct. Yes, uh, we will see this central series that I'm working on now, and I envision it being eight or nine books. 
this central series, the trine series, if you will, uh, will feature Marana and Teague and many of the characters that we, we have, and they will follow through. Certainly new characters will be introduced, but the main characters will, will stay the same. Um, I do have plans for a sequel series, um, kind of what happens after things kind of change the society, then may eventually turn around and hate magic users, so that's an interesting point. And I also have a couple of, oh, kind of prequel origin stories of two um, two of the characters that are referred to a lot in, in, in the book. And um, then there's all these other things like uh, graphic novels, which give uh, some major minor characters a chance to kind of shine in their own series. So... We we have that planned, and then there's of course the video games and all that as well. Wow! Oh my goodness! Work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long did yeah. you? So so I asked you this earlier. You said you got like you got into writing based. You loved Star Wars. <laughs> it sounds like this story came to you. Did this story come to you like through a dream? You've planned it out so far, or did you just <laughs> sit down and I mean to see it as eight or nine books? How did? Okay, so you saw a movie, Star Wars, but how did this particular story come to you? For me personally, um, I am a deep woman of faith. Everybody can believe what they want to believe or choose not to believe, but for me, I am a deep woman of faith, and I, I you know, I, I practice my Catholic religion, and so I like to think. Uh, I don't know if I would say divinely inspired, but it did sort of come to me as a complete package, flash, boom, bang, in my head. And I kind of had the basic underpinnings of much of this. Um, Certain other, you know, other aspects of it have evolved a little bit. Like I've got maybe plot hooks up through the sixth book, and then the other ones are a little bit more vague, but I know it's going to take this many books to explain, you know, what's going on in the the world, um, you know, in their world. So, but the basic story, that's what happened. Trine Rising was originally a great big huge doorstop of a novel, way too long, and when I was learning to write, so I actually whacked it into three. So that's how I had an instant trilogy. (laughs) Oh, Okay. Okay. Because if you understand, you know, if some of your listeners are, are writers, you know about story arc and character arc yeah, and certain things right. have to happen. So there was a lot of midpoint climaxes or, or really midpoint crescendos that would have worked well as an end of, you know, a story. So it really lent itself to being divided up into much more palatable bites, if you will, or meals. <laughs> Okay, okay. Now, where is Kendera, and what is what is Kendera like, and how much is Kendera like Earth? Sure. Um, Kendera is a fictional um, continent, um, nameless planet. I don't have anything. We were just really focused on a fictional land, and it's roughly the – Imagine if you took uh, Australia and instead of Australia we know is wide, you turned it, you know, vertically. So it's about 3,000 miles north to south, about 2,000 miles east to west. And that was a very interesting thing when I began working on the underpinnings of the story and putting together the toolbox. I created the map very early before I really even fleshed out the characters. I needed to see physically on something 
where all these provinces were, where mountains were, how would trade occur, how would anything, how would knowledge be passed, you know, what is the climate like here, there, and everywhere. And so I really created a map. So it is a large continent, which um, gives us as writers tools to have subtle, subtle differences between the provinces. You know how here in the United States we have different cultural things that happen in different parts of the country, you know, um, everything from food to, to colloquialisms and, 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 you know, spoken accents and that sort of thing. Well, the same thing occurs here. Um, I like to think of it as in kind of a medieval time frame, so think something ah. like, you know, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 A.D., somewhere oh, in there is the level of technology. Okay. Because I just love that from high fantasy. I'm sorry, I'm a sucker for sword and sorcery. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, it, you know, I don't want it to be pinned as, oh, it's always Western Europe. It's always, you know, medieval England. It's not, because each of these provinces is something similar to a different area in, in our world. I have a province that's kind of like Morocco. I have a province that's kind of like Africa. I have a province that's like Tibet. And I have, you know, good old American Midwest values, wheat-growing, corn-growing places. Um, so geographically, there are other cultures that are represented. It just It's a long story. It takes me a while to get there. So, but we will see these other cultures and climates oh, throughout okay. the series. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, this story is so well thought out. Thank uh, you. It's not like you you've thought the whole thing out. You can yes. you can tell from talking <laughs> to you, and it sounds very very intriguing. Like you want to know, you want to keep reading to find out how does this story end. Now, book two in the series. It's said to come out in the fall, correct? Yes, we have. We are having our book launch uh, party here, August 26th. It will be virtual, so um, I'm just getting ready to put all the particulars up on on my social media pages. But it will be virtual, so anybody anywhere can actually attend. So even though um, we're doing it in conjunction with Changing Hands Bookstore out here in Phoenix, they are an incredible independent bookstore, and I can't thank them enough. They uh, launched my uh, first book with me and that was incredible giving a local independent author with no name recognition and they are one of the best bookstores really independent bookstores in the country they've been rated that way and so they're allowing me to come back and, and launch this book too so we'll be getting that up but that's august 26th uh seven o'clock uh phoenix time which is uh, pacific daylight time and we can't we are so excited to get that out I can hear it. I hear it in your voice. <laughs> yeah. I, I just like I, I literally have goosebumps. This of the three that are really written, written, you know, they're actually you know <laughs> narrative format. Book two so far is probably my favorite. I think it has oh. the most tooth and and uh, uh, you know there's there's so much going on and um, we you know we reveal a ton more, but the more is revealed. The more questions you have, yes, which I love yes. when that happens. So we've got a lot of great, interesting things. Uh, and what's interesting, with you asked a while ago, what, what's, what's the bad guy like, the antagonist? And the antagonist, of course, is the Dark Trine. And he does not think of himself. He's not evil. He's not your typical, like, Lex Luthor or Dr. Evil where he's wringing his hands with, with a maniacal cackle. No. 
he wants peace and wants to end the war just as much as Marana and her friends and family do. He desperately wants peace. It's just how do we bring it about? He's kind of an ends justify the means kind of guy. And he literally thinks he was created born to do this. So we get in his mind, um, So there's a couple different point of views, one of which is the bad guys. And so much of what he says, you're like, mm, he's not wrong, which makes him delicious to write. I, When I would get into character to write him, I would think of him as kind of like a dark hero. He ah, okay. definitely has ethics. He hates killing. It's a means to an end. In fact, the conquest of Kandera is only a means to an end. It's the only way he can envision how I can finally bring peace to the land and stop this war um, and allow you know, the, the power from without and the light from within to both be accepted as, as noble and have purpose. So he's you know, he, he's just very complex, and he certainly doesn't think of himself as, as a bad guy. And he doesn't want just minions or anything. He doesn't even want to be the, you know, leader of the land. He feels he has to be in order to save the land, which is a very different kind of antagonist. Is there a, is there a good force that's over everything in the story? Like most power, you th- I like to use the analogy of fire. Fire can keep us warm, it helps cook our food, uh, it gives us light, um, but fire can also be used destructive depending on how you use it, right? You know, we have forest fires, which can, can be bad and whatnot. So the power of the aspects is really neither good nor bad. It all depends on what happens in the hands of the user. Uh, okay. Like most things, you know? So there is no, but there is no, like here we believe, like a lot of people believe there's a God, there's this right. force of good over everything that's really ultimately controlling the final outcome. So that, in the trying series, there is nothing like that. There, well, let, let me step back a minute. That's, that's how they use the power itself. But yes, they in their belief system, they do have a deity. It's kind of... I, I don't want people to think because of, of my Christian upbringing that I did some sort of faux trinity. That's not how this was created at all, although their deity is kind of a trinity. It's like the, the they're kind of like a god who's a trine, and um, it's what they believe, and it's where they believe their source of life and their power came from and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, and, and certainly our heroes pray to it. And even even the other side, um, you know, they they hope that you know they're doing the right thing too. So they do have a deity in their belief system, but I don't look at it as any more controlling than anything else. I mean, you know, we, if we want to go, you know, there's always the question: why does why does our God, you know, uh, allow bad things to happen in the world? Well, you know, so I mean, it's the same sort of connection, if you will. Um, there's, there's faith and belief with these people, but uh, whether you know you have something like the Olymp, the you know gods of, of Greece, where we're all pawns. No, I, I don't write it that way. I really write it from the perspective of the people as having a belief system or not. We don't okay. bring in the aspects above as a character per se. 
Okay. Can you share a brief look into the trying fallacy which kicks off next month, the second book in the series? Give us just a, a quick brief look sure. into what is going on in the second book. Sure. As the dark trine's noose tightens around Kendera, young trine Marana Pinal and her mentor, the trine hero Tectric Garris, embark on a quest to learn how the enigmatic watchtower of Jassel's Keep would save the land. Teague Beltran, Marana's beloved and an unaspected herbsman, he wants nothing more than to kill the dark trine himself, but as one born without magic powers, he's forbidden to take up arms in battle. Uh, his confrontation with the Dark Trine's forces may force him to sacrifice his healing oath. As Marana fears using her aspects and the light within is not enough to save her people, but using the aspects from the power from without possibly will lead her down a path she must follow. They must both answer their true calling, but each choice may leave them and Kandera without hope. Dun, 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 dun. Ominous <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. chord. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep reading and, and, and find out. What have readers been saying about the first book in the series, Trying Rising? What type of feedback have you been getting? You know, what has what I love so much is one of the things that I wanted to bring in my series was to make a fantasy that people who have never read the genre or don't think they like the genre, oh, my God, it's just, you know, telepathic dolphins or something, you know. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just not my story. I have tried to make the people so identifiable and so approachable to what we live today, and I am getting that feedback. You know, it's like, yeah, I can't believe this. You know, I'm reading this, and, oh, my gosh, I would do the same thing. I mean, I don't know if you're a parent or not, but if you have a, a young person in your life, what wouldn't you do to protect them? I mean, you would do anything, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, and, and you know, how, most teens, they don't talk about anything, you know, their depression or anything. If they do, maybe they talk about it with one of their, their peers, but certainly not their parents. Marana does the same thing. Uh, you're a working mom. You have dedication to your team and your company, and that may mean sacrificing time with your family. And if you spend time with your family, you know, stuff may fall to pieces at your job. How do you parse that out? And then you add into where where Marana's mother is, you know, a, a political thing. She's kind of like, like I said, governor, and how do you make those calls? Um, so these are things that people can identify with. And a lot of my readers are picking that up, and it doesn't seem to be a problem that the protagonist is 16 and maybe readers are 50, or a reader is, is, a, is a man. They, there's enough male, strong male voices and viewpoints in there for them to, to uh, hang on to. So everything has been so positive, and I am so blessed. I've won a few awards and lots of five-star ratings, and I'm, I'm just thrilled with what's going on, and I cannot wait to get book two into people's hands. They've been clamoring for it as soon as oh, congratulations, <laughs> congratulations. Throughout, I don't want to give a story away, but in the second book, uh, does Marana finally step into her own? Does she really just accept and, and learn how to deal with her powers and really start to step into her own in this book? At the conclusion, she does make those choices where she's got to really run her own life. She can't rely on anybody else anymore. 
Um, and then in book three, we see what happens with that decision. Oh, uh, very interesting. And it's up to eight to nine books, so there's so much more coming. Now, here you are. You're writing this eight to nine book series uh, coming up, book two being released next month in August. Why Why in the world do you think that you struggled to write a novel when you were starting out? Well, journalism is a very different animal. Um I think it's more like if you were writing a nonfiction how-to book or something. The problem is, I mean, yes, you want to have a story or something to grab your readers, certainly, but it's just the facts, ma'am. You're writing something for brevity and for clarity, uh, and you don't, well, which in my personal opinion, you should never see the journalist, the journalist's beliefs, the journalist, anything, personality, really, in a news piece. And I wrote largely informative uh, journalism, like, you know, healthcare legislation and how it impacted uh, small businesses. So that was kind of my, my bailiwick. So you should never see yourself in there. Writing a novel is can be very vulnerable. And the first number of years, it was it was terrifying to have other people read it. At one hand, you know, I want someone's feedback on this chapter. On the other half, I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to think that, you know, either my writing's terrible or the plot's terrible or something. So it was loosening up and, and trying to become free and, and really write a story and, and put all that passion of storytelling in it, which is, can be quite different when you're writing hard news. Because, again, it's all fact-based and you're trying to be as concise as you want to be. And here, you know, when you're writing in, you know, first person or deep third person, you're really trying to explain. You don't ever label their anger. You explain, oh, their, you know, jaws clenched and their, you know, white knuckled fists, you know. So you're trying to expand that. So it's like two halves of the same coin, two sides of the same coin. Okay, and so you just thought, okay, you you were you were concerned that can I can I pull this off, and then the feedback, and I think every author might deal with that mm-hmm. once you release your book. If you get good feedback, yeah. it's fabulous. If you continue a writing career, you're not going to just only get fabulous feedback. And I and mm-hmm. I can see any artist, including a singer or actor, you're going to get some feedback. You're like, whoa, that that hit, that hurt. <laughs> I can see where you would have been like, oh, I'm not, I really want to do it, but this book is so thought out. So I'm going to sw- switch and pivot just a little bit away yeah. from your, the, to the Trying series as we come down to like the last 10 minutes of the show. But mm-hmm. what is, I want to talk about the Kibbe Creative Media. What inspired you to launch Kibbe Creative Media? My LLC, it began uh, really um, as a, uh, it's basically I'm a a boutique uh, freelance writing firm and marketing support. Um, I loved my career as a journalist, absolutely loved it. And unfortunately, around 2010, 2011, newsrooms were tightening their belts, and I was laid off. And I was crushed, absolutely crushed. Um, but I had to find a way to go forward, and I had a Rolodex, you know, uh, you, some of your listeners probably don't even know what that is, but essentially it's my contact <laughs> list, and right. that, you know, I could have insured. I, there was a time when I knew just about everybody in the state of New Hampshire. New Hampshire's very small. The whole state probably has a population less than most cities, but so everybody is very accessible. 
So I just started calling everybody I could think of and say, hey, you know, I'm I'm on my own now, and I'm, you know, being a freelance writer. You know, do you need words for your website? You know, if they were a publication, you know, hey, I'd love to, you know, write for your magazine and all of that. So I really started uh, opening it up as, as a freelance uh, writing boutique, as a freelancer. And that then grew, and I did a lot of other things. And then when we started launching the book, uh, when you self-publish, you need to have at least something to hang your hat on as a publisher, in quotes. I'm making air quotes, people. Imagine if you will. <laughs> and um, so that's when I created uh, Kibbe Creative Media LLC. I took it to an LLC for uh, those enhanced protections, certainly. And um, so then I put, because it's still a business endeavor as much as it is a creative one, I put all my book stuff underneath the umbrella of the LLC as well. Okay, so to, what are some of the services that you that are offered through the, 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 the creative media? What, what type of services do you offer? Sure, sure. I do, uh, you know, anything from uh, what, what's really been, been a great opportunity is um, – Helping companies with their social media, ghost posting, if you will. Um, okay. I love designing Instagram posts, and I'm learning more and more how to use some of the other tools in Instagram with reels and stories, more video stuff. But uh, I love doing that. Um, I did a lot of um, freelance news article writing. I don't do so much of that anymore. Um, but I do, and um, certainly for writers out there, I like to offer um, manuscript review, not a critique. Oh. And I prefer if it was an earlier review, like you're you're writing something and you're stuck. You know, like uh, there's something's wrong with the story and I don't know what it is. So consider me, you know, for those writers, I'm like your writerly best friend, and you know, let's go through this together. You know. Um, no story. You can always salvage a story. It might have to change and change drastically, but I think everybody has a story inside them. So manuscript review and basically anything with words. You need, you know, some some brushing up on your website, you know. I can help along with that. Okay. So right now we're now how, really focused on the book. <laughs> how has writing, working as a journalist, how did that help you? When it came to marketing your books, you just talked about living in New Hampshire when it was small. You got laid off as a journalist. You start pulling out your Rolodex, contacting your contacts, offering you know help with freelance writing when you kicked off Kibbe Creative Media LLC. But how and what ways has working as a journalist helped you when it comes to marketing your books, the Trying series? Being a, I don't think I could have pulled off my books and created them as well as I have if I hadn't been a journalist. Journalism is where I learned to write well, um, learn to edit to a certain degree. I'm not a grammarian, but I certainly am better than I was. Uh, I got over fear of putting myself on the page in some way, shape, or form, you know, waiting for someone to, you know, rip my uh, news article to shreds. Um, so that helped, and it just... I like to say I was an extroverted introvert, and that really helped me become a bit more um, 
a bit more at ease with talking to perfect strangers. Now I have I have no problem. I'm an annoying, chatty person on the elevator. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. <laughs> a good, great but, communicator. I mean, those, okay. All of those basics that you need, everything from writing to how am I going to envision a story, every, every book is a project, so you'd kind of put on a project manager's hat, to the point of reaching out to people to, to you know, making those connections. Because it's, it's, it's never about what you know, it's always who you know. Who you know will help you get your what you know out there, you know. So that was, you know, really helped to to find um, people, put together a team, you know, to interview people. Do I like this illustrator? Do I like this editor? Do I like this publicist? And all of those basic skills I learned as a journalism. As a journalist. Uh, I got to ask you this for our off-the-shelf listeners who themselves are authors. Do press <laughs> releases still work? You, from your journalist background, to get the word out about new books or author events? Um, it depends on it, the market. Uh, if you're sending something to perhaps a magazine or the local media, sure. Um, as far as getting building a brand, you have to be on social media. You don't have to be on every single one. In fact, you know, I'd rather you just choose one and make it the best you can do. I, I'm mostly on Instagram, but I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I used to try, you know, TikTok and Pinterest and all the rest of that stuff, but it, it's too much and it doesn't leave you enough focus. But you really have to build your brand on social media because at the end of the day, whether you're going to be traditionally published or self-published, you, they're looking for a potential audience. And that's how you build that potential audience is through social media, which is both good and bad. Because <laughs> it can be, oh. it's a lot of work and it takes a long time. Okay, okay. Now we learn so much about ourselves, DK, while we're while we're writing. So I want to ask mm-hmm. you, what have you learned about yourself since you started writing the Trying Book series? I have some serious violence issues. <laughs> oh. No, 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 no. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Oh no, 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 no. I, I, I'm joking. Oh, I'd love to see what the NSA has on me. You know. Oh, how much is the draw weight of a military compound bow from 1100 AD? You know. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff I have to look up. Um, I would say it's just bravery. Bravery, and that's where my unsuccessful quitter hashtag comes in, that the path, especially for an independent, um, independently published author like myself, the hill is so incredibly steep. And it almost weekly, if not daily, reduces me to tears because of something. Something seems insurmountable. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to quit. God, why are you making me do this? I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm going to quit just as soon as I finish this next chapter. (laughs) (laughs) That's what being an unsuccessful quitter is. Allow yourself to have that breath. When it becomes so seemingly impossible, that is almost always when the breakthrough is going to happen in the next breath. Step back. 
take a breath, watch something stupid on TV, pet your dog, pet your cat, go for a walk, you know, give your significant other a huge hug. I, you know, have a cosmopolitan now and then, but that's that's another story. <laughs> um, but that's where being an unsuccessful quitter is. Give yourself a chance. Don't cut. Don't don't you know? Don't take yourself so seriously. We're all going through. Whether you know you're writing a book or creating a podcast out of nothing or trying to perfect your grandmother's salsa recipe, everything can seem so bleak. Step back. Take a breath, retack, and then come out swinging again. Oh, what a wonderful word of encouragement! Where can off-the-shelf listeners get copy of your books, and where can they find you on social media? Oh, certainly. Well, um, we are on on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and then you can certainly find us through any independent bookstore. We're sold basically online. So if you go to your uh, your favorite independent bookstore online and type Trine Rising in or Trine Fallacy or C.K. Donnelly, you can probably find me. Um, and we are available in all three formats: in hardcover, softcover, and an ebook. So that's good. Hopefully, in a couple of years, we'll be getting those audio books out to you. But right now, I got to focus on this. And my website is the home of all things. Um, I have registered every domain I can think of. So if you type in trinerising.com, trinefallacy.com, kinderasaga.com, or ckdonnelly.com, it will bring you to my website. That certainly has links and up to date things. I am also on Instagram at ckdonnellytrine like my name and Trine, T-R-I-N-E. Um, and that's actually across all three of them, Facebook, C.K. Donnelly Trine, and Twitter, C.K. Donnelly Trine. Oh, what a pleasure you have been, author C.K. <laughs> Donnelly Trine. Please visit her online at ckdonnelly.com, C-K-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.com. And she's the author of the Trine book series. It's going to just listening to her talk, if you came in midstream, once the show finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in an entirety. You can, it's like this, sound like this story came to her, the way she's uh, yeah. uh, uh, seen the whole story, it sounds yeah. like. I'm sure there are going to be surprises along the way and things. She'll change oh, yeah. as each book is completed. But the second my book little is trademark series. is I do an earth-shattering cliffhanger at the end. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the stories are complete, but I leave you with this one bombshell. I'm, I'm starting to kind of write that into all my stuff. So there's oh, okay. Surprises. To make somebody got to get the next book. So her ne- her next book, the second book in the series, so Trying Fallacy mm-hmm. is Trying Rising is already out. Trying Fallacy yeah. is out next month, August, yeah. for you guys can go yes. get the, the launch. No worries if you came in midstream again when the show finishes streaming. You can go back and listen to it in its entirety in the archives as often as you like. And I encourage you to visit her again, ckdolly.com online, and support her trying book series, especially if you like science fiction and fantasies. These Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans <laughs> can go out there and get a copy of the trying. And uh, I hope uh, they join series. me on social media. I'm tired of posting to myself. I want people to play uh, with. Come okay. on and, and come on out. Let me okay. know what your favorite books are. You know, I don't care if you don't like the book. Tell me why. Maybe I'm like, oh, they're right. I'll try and correct that next time. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we, we want to thank C.K. for being here with us. C.K., I'll shoot you an email with a link to the 
this Great. interview when it finishes streaming. Thank you, thank you, thank you to CK and each of our listeners. As I always tell you, you are incredible. You are fabulous. Go ahead and create an awesome day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bye for now. All right. You take care. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.